Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Do you know people who have left the Orthodox Christian faith and now they may call you toxic or homophobic or unsafe and they don't want to even reason. They might not even want you in their lives. What do you do? Well, we're continuing our conversation with Elisa Childers and Tim Barnett, who wrote the great new book, The Deconstruction of Christianity. If you didn't hear the first podcast on this, you probably want to go back and start there because we're going to jump right in uh, to where we left off. Uh, we talked a lot about deconstruction, what it is, what causes it, why do people leave the Christian faith, and now we're really getting into the advice on what you can do when somebody says, you're toxic and I don't want you in my life anymore, and there's an entire chapter in the book, The Deconstruction of Christianity, called Advice, and we're going to dive into it right now. But before I do, Tim, let me start with you. It seems like this deconstruction movement is almost a species of critical theory. And the reason I say that is because they put people into categories, oppressed, oppressor, and they think an evangelical Christian defined properly is an oppressor. And they think that reason is a tool of oppression. So if, if you're trying to reason with somebody who rejects reason, what do you do? What approach do you take? Yeah, this is this is a problem that people are going to run up against. Mm -hmm. And again, if they listen to the conversation we've had up to this point, they understand that deconstruction isn't about what's true. It's about something else. If you get rid of truth, then what you're left with is power and power plays. This is where the kind of critical theory comes in because there's going to be oppressors and there's going to be the oppressed, okay? There's going to be the victimizers and there's going to be the victims. And so when when someone looks at a doctrine kind of through that lens, let's just take the doctrine of hell, for example, because this comes up all the time on social media. People um, railing against, you know, how someone could believe in hell. In fact, if you teach hell to your kids, that is child abuse. Well, where does that come from? It's because they've bypassed the discussion about truth and they've just assumed, okay, forget it's not it's not in that category. So if you tell your 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 kids that they could spend eternity in hell, well, that's abusive. But as we point out in the book, if you come across someone who's laying on the ground and someone's on top of them kind of beating their chest, how do you know if that's abuse or not? How do you know if this person's being oppressed or a, or is a victim? Well, you need to know the truth of the situation. If this person has just suffered a heart attack and the person over top of them is beating their chest because they're doing chest compressions, well, that gives you a completely different perspective of what's going on. Now is what the person doing toxic? Is it oppressive? Is it, are they a victimizer? No, of course not. They're trying to save this person's life. Um, but this, this ends up being 
part of the issue. So when when someone comes to you and they have this kind of critical theory, the kind of the deconstructionist worldview where there is no truth, well, it may be helpful to um, to point out that this is where they're coming from. They may not even understand what's going on. Um, and so point out that they've denied truth. Let's look at what's true first, and then we can determine whether or not this is harmful or toxic or whatever word you want to use. But the truth question has to be the first question. If you don't answer that, well, then you can't answer the other. Yeah, it seems to me it used to be, is Christianity true? Now the question is, is Christianity good? Mm. And uh, of course, people don't have a standard for either of those if they're deconstructing everything, right? If there's no God, well, then there's no ground for truth and there's no ground for morality either. Yet Mm. they think that orthodox evangelical views are somehow immoral, which I, I, I just can't help looking at it that way. I know that's probably maybe not the first tactic to take, Elisa, is it to start talking about, well, here's why you're logically wrong. <laughs> you know, what what tactic do you take with somebody? I mean, you're you're younger, but suppose you had an older child, you know, they're adult now and they, they say, hey, mom, you are never going to see your grandchildren again because you're toxic. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is such a tough question, and it's one we really poured our hearts and souls into in our advice chapter, because one of the things we do is we, we first of all, acknowledge that every relationship dynamic is a little bit different, and how you're going to approach it is going to depend on that. Like, for example, if you have a spouse who's deconstructing, you're going to approach that a bit differently mm-hmm. than you would if you had an adult child who has cut you off and forbidden you to see the grandkids, which by the way, we are not exaggerating about that. Frank, night after night after night, when I go out and speak, I always meet at least one couple who tells me that some have even received a no contact letter. So this is something that's very, very common. We're not just kind of making this up and and exaggerating, but you're going to also, you know, maybe how a parent of a teenager who's deconstructing, you're going to handle that a lot differently than you would if it's your college friend. And so We tried to walk through some of those scenarios, but let's just take that example you brought up of the the elderly couple with the grown children who won't let their see their grandkids. Um, One of the things we say is it's kind of like triage, depending on the relationship, depending on the fragility of of the relationship, you want to do some triage. So it's kind of like they do in hospitals when there's an accident and people start coming into the ER and the doctors have to say, okay, which injury is the most serious? What do we need to treat first? So the guy that has the punctured lung or a gunshot, he's going to get treated before the person with a sprained wrist or something like that. And so that's the first thing we advise you to do is do a little triage, like how fragile is this relationship? If it's fragile, if you've actually been told you're toxic, you can't see us anymore, do not contact me. Then what we say is that it's really okay to back off, uh, respect that boundary, and just try, if you can, try to stay in their life. And I, I talked with a woman just a couple of weeks ago who said, you know, once in a while, I'll just text a little bit of some encouragement, like, I love you to my, you know, my loved one who's deconstructed and doesn't want to talk to me. And sometimes they don't even respond back, but I just do it every once in a while. I pray. And if I, you know, if I feel like that's something I want to say, I just say, Hey, I I love you. I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. It's really okay to do that. That good. That's a little bit counterintuitive for Christians who we want to just, we want to ask them out for coffee and fix their theology over the coffee date and point out everything, all the errors. And, but we have to understand is there's a lot of wounds behind uh, the person who's deconstructing. And and like Tim mentioned in the other podcast, sometimes, 
you know, the, the perceived or real abuse. Sometimes the abuse is just perceived. For example, being told that you can't live a sinful lifestyle and remain a member at a church or being told that you're a sinner in need of a savior. These things are perceived as being abusive. In fact, I went on uh, on a comment section one time when somebody was claiming abuse that evangelicals are abusive. And I acknowledged that there is real spiritual abuse. I know it. I've walked it. I've been through it. I believe that spiritual abuse is real. But sometimes people just say being told they're sinners or that Jesus died on the cross for their sins is abusive. And when I said that, the person went came back in the comments and said, substitutionary atonement is abusive to teach that. Mm. So the, it, it requires some untangling of knots. So I would say whoever, you know, whatever relationship you have with your loved one, really seek to listen, try to identify maybe what the wounds are behind the deconstruction. And if you, like I, I said this just um, a couple days ago when I was at a Q&A about this, a woman said she had a friend who's been uh, through a lot of abuse in church and she's very confused. And I said, look, right now, your main goal is to cry with those who cry, try to minister to your friend. Maybe she needs some good biblical counseling and don't worry so much about the other stuff yet, but maybe just get her some help to help heal from the abuse. And then you can, you know, as you go, you can guide her toward biblical truth or something like that. But um, each situation is so unique and requires such a specific response. Like, for example, we, we sell this example in the book. If you're in college and your college friend is in deconstruction and it's wrecking your faith, it's OK for you to draw a boundary with them and say, hey, can we press the pause button on on these types of discussions? Because I just need to catch my breath and catch up with some of the things you've said about Christianity and look up, look, look it up for myself. And in that case, it's OK for you to be the one to draw the boundary. So it depends on the relationship and again, do a little bit of that triage, but it is okay to back off and recognize that you might just have a fragile window of opportunity to simply stay in their life. The book, again, is called The Deconstruction of Christianity. And the chapter we're talking about right now is the chapter called Advice. And Tim, Elisa mentioned one of the steps, uh, one of the pieces of advice is to set boundaries and respect mm -hmm. theirs. And you have a list of questions in here beginning on page 237 some questions that you can ask uh, yourself and maybe the person that you love in order to advance the relationship. What are some of those questions or what are some of those insights? Or you can add anything you want to what Elisa sure. said. Sure. Yeah. Some of these questions, again, these are just kind of starter questions that mm -hmm. we came up with. But uh, so other questions might come to your mind, but here are some of them that we list in the book. How close is your relationship with the person who's being, who's deconstructing? It's a good question to ask yourself. There are times when if it's kind of a friend, friend relationship, well, there's, you have closer friends than others. And so is this the kind of friend that you can go to and, uh, and they'll listen to you, you know, if you offer them advice or is this the kind of person that really opens up to you? Okay. So that, that might be the kind of question you'd ask. Is this a family member, um, that, uh, that is more casual or is this, you know, someone that's really close to you? Uh, are you bringing up issues of faith every time you see them? This is a kind of a, an important point uh, or an important question to ask. The last thing, if, if my daughter came to me, my daughters are small right now, but let's say they're older, 20 years old, come to me, daddy, I'm deconstructing. Uh, the last thing I would want to do is bring up faith and religion and Christianity every time we get together. There has to be times where I'm just dad and you're just 
daughter, you know, let's go shopping. Let's go out for a movie. Let's go grab ice cream. You know, those kind of things. So I'm continually like just being dad. I want my kids to know that I love them, period. Not I love you, but you really need to believe what daddy believes. You know, um, so it's it's really important that they feel loved. And in fact, watching deconstructionists share their deconstruction testimonies, oftentimes they feel like they're not loved because they no longer believe as their loved ones do. So the first thing I want my kids to know, um, or my loved ones to know, is listen, you're st- I still love you, even though we don't share the same the same beliefs. Again, so we're going to set boundaries. Hey, but daddy still wants to talk about this and I'm here for you anytime. You call me, let's go wherever. You want to go out for dinner and we'll just talk about the incarnation or or the doctrine of hell or, or whatever theological questions you want to talk about, we can set aside time for that. But the point is, there's a place and a time for it. It's not the kind of thing that I'm bringing up every single time. Because I, I, I've had these relationships in my own life where, you know, it's unbelievers or whatever. Every time we get together, they just want to talk about this. And it's like, let you know, now I don't even want to get together mm-hmm. because I know this is going to be the thing. And we can't enjoy our company. We can't just enjoy our time together because it's going to be some kind of debate. And I don't, there's, there's some nights I don't want to debate, you know, I just want to be together. So these are, these are questions again, to help you think. When's the right time and when's the wrong time? So there are some nights you don't want to be married. Is that what you're saying, Tim? (laughs) (laughs) But but that is a, it's a really good point because, and we, we actually make a connection between deconstruction and divorce and Mm. how it's it's, a lot of these stories end up being like the stories. If you, if, if you're, if the listener knows someone who's going through divorce, oftentimes the same kind of resentment and hostility and anger and bitterness, that's all in these, in these deconstruction stories as well. It's like the person going through a divorce. But look at my wife and I, when we have conflict, we handle it differently. My wife wants to like settle it right now, you know, and I oftentimes just want, let me think about this. I just need like a breather. So I'll end up sometimes walking away physically, you know, like, let me go think about this. And she will sometimes like chase me, you know, at least early on in our marriage, she'd be right behind me. And I'm like, what's happening right now? I just need time to think. And in the same way, we want to set these boundaries. So my wife knows if there's an argument or something, I just need space to think about it. And once I've thought about, oh yeah, my wife's right, I'm wrong, you know, then I come back and I can apologize or whatever. But if I get my back pushed against a wall, I get defensive. That's kind of like the personality there. And and I'll I might say something that I'll regret. So, you know, this again, learning who you're talking to and uh, and understanding, you know, how receptive they're going to be when we get into these kinds of conversations. Yeah, I need time to think about it so I can then get my red pen out, honey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's going to work. Red Pen Logic, ladies and gentlemen, check it out on YouTube. Elisa, I think sometimes probably parents or friends almost feel guilty when their uh, loved one has now, you know, said, I don't want to see you again, you know, because your beliefs are toxic and all this. But you have a little story in the book here about a lady by the name of Heather. That's what you named her anyway, because that's her name. Uh, And (laughs) uh, you were saying that um, well, why don't you just tell the story? You're not responsible for what she does is the moral of the story, yeah. but go ahead. Yeah. So Heather is not her real name, of course, but, and mm-hmm. I was just going to say to add to Tim's story, Tim, if you would just start with 
going and saying my wife is right and I was wrong, then you could save yourself the time to think about it and come back later. Mm-hmm. Just start with that, you know? <laughs> That's good. That's good. You know, just a little t- pro tip there. <laughs> You're welcome, Stacy. Okay, so the story about Heather. Um, so Heather and I went to church together, and mm-hmm. we we were friends and became quite closer surrounding an, um, an experience of spiritual abuse that we'd been through together. Now, Heather ended up leaving the church, as we all did, and we stayed in touch. And I noticed that she was starting to deconstruct. And so she would she would email me questions about, you know, the New Testament, the reliability of the New Testament. And I would answer her questions and even send her some resources and books to read. But she would write back with kind of the same question, just reformulated. And this started to happen again and again. And I I couldn't really understand what was happening because I'm thinking I'm giving her all these great resources and she's obviously wanting to dig deeper. There's books she can read and she didn't really want to read those. She just wanted to keep kind of going back to Bart Ehrman and people like that. And so I was like, what's going on here? And it it occurred to me that she had become persuaded that the Bible was written as a tool of oppression against women. It was was written to keep women down because of this pastor that we had both known. You know, he kind of had that sort of mentality. And she just thought, well, Christianity must be built upon men just like him. And she really became persuaded that that was the case. So it didn't matter what I said to try to answer her question. She had drawn her conclusion already. Well, Heather went further into deconstruction and, as far as I understand, fully left the faith. But we had a dinner one night, and it was me and and her and her husband. And we just talked, and, and they kept bringing up all these skeptical claims against Christianity, but it was also very emotionally charged. So Heather was crying a lot. She would just kind of um, gasp into these sobs. And I just didn't think that was the greatest time for me to pull out my, you know, apologetics toolkit and start, you know, telling her what she was wrong about. So I just listened. And at the end, we go out to the car and I give them hugs and she kind of just blurted out, well, if you'd had any answers, we'd have taken them. And the implication was you're you're a professional apologist and you didn't even have the answers to these questions we brought up. See, you don't this whole thing is a sham. And that was the essentially the implication of that. And man, I carried that for a long time. I felt so bad, like I had really blown it. Like Heather has deconstructed because I couldn't answer her questions. And this is literally- What are you doing tomorrow night, Heather? Right. I'll bring the answers tomorrow night. Yeah, exactly. I know I should have done that. Um, But I was just, honestly, I was so shell-shocked by the accusation. And so Mm -hmm. then I realized though, I, I thought, you know what? This is not on me. I am not that powerful. I am, you know, you're not all powerful. I'm not all powerful. And so Heather's deconstruction is not on me. Even if I would have said the most eloquently perfect you know, answers, if I would have been Frank Turek at that dinner and just known exactly what matter. to say, mm-hmm. um, she still probably would have deconstructed because it was not, it's not a truth quest like we learned. It's not an intellectual problem. It's an emotional problem. And so this, this is the hope we, we hope to give people who read the book because I've also had parents come up to me and say, you know, I've had some say, we did everything we thought we did right. We don't know what else we could have done. But I've had many others say, I totally blew it. When my kid brought up these problems, I kind of, I lost my cool and I pushed them mm-hmm. away and now they don't want to talk to me anymore. And and I love looking into the eyes of people like that and saying, you know what? It's not on you. You're just not that powerful. You're not the Holy Spirit. You can You can blow it. But you know what? What a great opportunity, if the opportunity arises, to model repentance and humility and say, hey, I'm so sorry mm-hmm. that I didn't mm-hmm. react the way that I wish I would have. It just shocked me. And I just ask your forgiveness. And I really want to try to do better. I really want to understand what's going on with you. 
And there's so many ways that you can model that, but ultimately to know that, you know, your loved one's deconstruction is not your fault. People grow up mm-hmm. in homes where they are taught every, all the, they're discipled well, they're taught the scriptures, they're, everything's great, and then the kid becomes an atheist. And there's other homes where they blow it on everything and the kid becomes the next Billy Graham. So you never know. Mm-hmm. And and just to do the best you can with what you have at the time and know that it's it's just ultimately not on your shoulders. Well, Tim, you write in the book, along with Elisa, The Deconstruction of Christianity, there are two kinds of questions. Mm-hmm. What are the two? There are questions that are seeking answers, and there are questions that are seeking exits. What do you mean by exits? The, yeah. So um, one of the stories I think we allude to or we talk about is the um, the how how uh, Herod was seeking the newborn king, right? The, the newborn Jesus and, and the wise men are there, the Magi, and they're, they're going to go to Bethlehem and, and find this king. And he's like, yeah, let me know. So I can go seek him as well. And I thought, here's this word seek, right? If you just, if people just open up their Bible, they can see the word seek is used all over, uh, the new Testament. And in this case, Herod is seeking Jesus, but he's not seeking Jesus because he wants to worship Jesus. It actually says he's seeking him because he wants to destroy him. Well, why does he want to destroy him? Because Herod, uh, Jesus is a challenge to Herod's throne. He's another, he's a potential king, right? This is what the Magi say. So so when when we, we thought it through this and we thought, man, there are a lot of people who are seeking. There's no doubt, but they're seeking their own throne. Mm. They're seeking exits. Why? Because they want to be the authority in their own life. They want to be God. And I mean, this becomes real clear when you start watching the deconstruction stories and following these guys online. I mean, just Michael Gunger the other day, I did a little red pen video and he says, he says the only place that you can find truth, capital T, is within yourself. Where That's did that the come only place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm <laughs> you know? I, in my response, I said, "Well, he put that online. He thinks he thinks that's true." And I didn't come to it because I I looked inside myself. Uh-huh. I I would have came to that because I saw it on Instagram. You know, mm-hmm. so so it's self refuting. But notice, it's about authority. In fact, mm. in the caption below the video, he says that. There's an illusion that there's an authority outside of us, whether it's God, the Bible, or something else. No, you are the ultimate authority. And that's what this comes down to. Um, There is a worldview that puts the God and his word as the final authority, the ultimate authority. And there's another worldview that puts the self as the ultimate authority. And we argue in our book that deconstruction is that worldview. It's the idea that self ultimately determines, and it stands judge over Scripture. I mean, over and over again, you find deconstructionists say Paul was wrong, Moses was wrong. They have no trouble. They're not wrestling with the Scriptures. Well, what did Paul mean by that? No, lots of these guys are just wanting to say, yeah, the Bible says it, and it's wrong. No problem. Let's move on. Well, it's because they, they think that they can determine what's actually true. And of course, that is absolutely false. And and we make that case in the book. Here's one of the biggest problems, ladies and gentlemen. If you give up an authority outside yourself, you no longer have any warrant to say anything is right or wrong. 
And yet that's their entire case against Orthodox Christianity, that somehow things Christians supposedly do or supposedly believe are immoral. Well, if there's no authority outside of the self, nothing's immoral. Everything's just a matter of opinion. It's just a matter of preference. So they're losing their ability to to somehow indict Christianity when they become the authority over everything. When they when they reject God, when they reject the true authority, so I mean, there's so many problems with it, and it's they're beautifully unpacked in the book, the deconstruction of Christianity by my guest today, Elisa Childers and Tim Barnett. Hey, before we go, you guys are going or have gone to Southern Evangelical Seminary, like I did, ses.edu. Say a word or two because a lot of people don't know about SES and they ought to. Yeah, well. Uh... I'll let Tim pitch in here too, but I'm a forever student at SES. I will probably be uh-huh. taking classes there forever. Um, I'm not currently taking one this semester, but every time I have a little bit of a of a light schedule, I love to take a class at SES. It's just the greatest Bible college seminary. It They shepherded me through my process, my faith crisis. I found them early on um, in my faith crisis and started auditing classes. And they're just the absolute best. I love that every class has a three-pronged approach of apologetics, theology, and philosophy. So you get all three of those in every class. And, um, it has just helped my walk with the Lord so, so, so much. How about you, Tim? And what they do really well is besides the theology part is that the ability to kind of be in the classroom, but at home. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when I, when I was taking classes, man, uh, it's been a while, 2013, I think I enrolled, did the master's degree in philosophy and, um, I was able to be live streamed in there. So it was like, I was sitting at the back of the room and, uh, it was so funny cause when we'd ask a question, we just unmute and like, Hey, uh-huh. you know, professor how, and then, uh-huh. you know, Richard, how he'd be like, you know, uh-huh. uh, it'd be this kind of big production, but it felt like you were in the room with the other students. Cause there were students in the room as well. And, uh, I think, man, if you can't be there and a lot of us because of work or family or whatever, we can't be in, on location. It's, this is the next best thing. So check it out, ladies and gentlemen, ses.edu. Also want to mention, I think it's this week. Yeah, February 1st, I'll be at Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana. If you want to be a part of that, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. You can go to our website, crossexamine.org, for more on that. And don't forget about the conversations with the face. If you want to be able to more effectively interact with Muslims, Mormons, and Jehovah's Witnesses, you need to take that course with Dr. Brady Blevins. Uh, and it starts on February 5th. The self-paced course you can take anytime you want. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. We also have the Unshaken Conference coming up in both uh, Detroit and Pittsburgh. Me, Elisa, and uh, Natasha Crane will be there. And then uh, two more things you need to know about. Elisa, myself, Greg Kokel of Stand to Reason, Uh, And several others are going to be in Dayton, Ohio on February 16th and 17th. Go to DaytonApologetics.com for more on that. And then the next weekend in Dallas, Texas, Tim, talk about the reality conference quickly if people can want to be a part of that. Yeah, they're going to want to register for the Reality Apologetics Conference February 23rd, 24th, happening in North Dallas at Cottonwood Creek Baptist Church. Um, It's going to fill up. It will sell out. I think we're at 2,000 students already registered. 
it is such a good time. Uh, not only are you equipped with kind of the apologetics training, but it's also a ton of fun. In fact, students keep coming back every year and we we're having a hard time just finding a facility that Big will enough. hold yeah, everybody. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So um, definitely want to check that out. What's the website again? realityapologetics.com realityapologetics.com by the way also check out Red Pen Logic and the Elisa Childers podcast in addition to the Unshaken podcast all of that great resources for you ladies and gentlemen Elisa, Tim thanks for the great book The Destruction of Christianity friends you need to get it get it today thank you guys for being a part of this thanks Frank thanks alright see you here Lord willing next week God bless <laughs>